Well, good morning. Good to see so many of you on this holiday weekend. I was wondering if anybody was going to show up or not. But I'm glad you're here. I hope you're glad you're here. Second Corinthians chapter 4, as we continue our series through the book of Second Corinthians, looking at what it means to be a servant or learning to be a servant of God. And we've been saying since day one of this series that we've got to remember that we are saved to serve. We are not saved as followers of Jesus Christ to sit, to be a spectator, but to serve. And God wants us to learn how to be a servant. And He's given us instructions, especially in a book like 2 Corinthians, on learning to be a servant. Now today we're going to take a little bit of a a turn though, because... Paul wants to talk to the Corinthians and us about the truth that prevents discouragement. Because there is no doubt that there is a real possibility for all of us, from those of us who we call in full-time ministry to any Christian who's out there trying to serve the Lord in the world today and serve the Lord in their own family and in their own community and even in their own local church, that all of us are susceptible to being discouraged. In fact, I'm sure many of you heard the very sad and tragic news last week that that young pastor in Southern California, that husband and father of three little children, took his own life. And I've been praying for his church and for his family And it was because he was really in the grips of a lot of discouragement. Ministry and service of the Lord can be discouraging. First of all, all of us as Christians are living in a world that Jesus Christ is not the Lord of. Satan is the God of this world. And so you and I have to keep that in mind all the time. And then many times, one of the reasons why Christians don't put themselves out there more is because they don't want to face the criticisms. And all I can tell you is, yeah, the criticism will come when you put yourself out there to serve the Lord. But what the Lord will bless you with and bless you for because you put yourself out there for Him is so much greater than any of the negativity that you can face. But you and I have to then, as Christians, learn to focus on the truth that can prevent discouragement. Notice in verse 1 of 2 Corinthians 4, Paul says, Therefore, since we have this ministry, just as God has shown us mercy, we do not become discouraged. I want you to lock in on those words today. We do not become discouraged by the things that Paul's going to talk to us about. And you'll note even in those five words, the sense of a preventative thing. The Bible is mostly about preventing things from coming into our lives or happening. They are principles given to us by God to prevent us from getting to a certain place rather than getting to a bad place and then trying to dig out of the hole. Because even though both takes effort, The effort that we can put into something to prevent something from happening is going to be much better served in our lives than trying to get to a certain place and then again put forth so much effort to get out of it. 
And yet we live in a culture and we live in a world that spends very little time we do as human beings putting forth the effort we need to in our lives to prevent certain things from coming in. We bought into the philosophy of the world. We just sort of live our lives and then wait till something happens and then put forth all this effort to try to fix it after the fact rather than preventing it from happening in the first place. As I said before, one of my mentors years ago said, Jeff, remember this principle. It's always easier to build a boy than to mend a man. And yet that's not the kind of culture we live in. But that's the kind of Bible and that's the kind of God that we have. And not that once we get to a bad place, God won't do everything within his power to pull us out of that. And maybe some of you here today, you're already there. You're already discouraged. Well, let me tell you, God is the God that can bring you out of that discouragement. No matter how deep you may be in that discouragement, God can bring you out. But there's certain truth that you and I have to lock into that can keep us from even becoming discouraged, as Paul said. And the first is found right there in verse 1. We have this ministry because God has shown us mercy. Let me first talk about the mercy of God. Because again, we live in a world today that's all about entitlement and, and getting what we deserve. And we as Christians should wake up every day realizing that we don't want what we deserve. And we don't get what we deserve. If we got what we deserved, we would spend an eternity apart from God, having no salvation, dead in our sins and trespasses, no hope, nothing. That's what we deserve. But God, through Jesus, didn't give us what we deserve. Thank God. We have been shown mercy. And it is the realization of the mercies of God that should wake us up every day and, and, and build into us a sense of why am I discouraged, especially if there's things in my life that's not going right, not going well, I'm not getting what I deserve because you're right, we're, we're not going to get what we deserve and we should sing hallelujah for it every day. It is because of the Lord's mercies, the prophet says, that we are not consumed. And even Paul picks up on the foundation of the mercy of God to appeal to Christians to present themselves in service for the Lord. In Romans chapter 12, verse 1, Paul says, I strongly urge you, brothers and sisters in Christ, that you present your body a living sacrifice, becoming more and more wholly His by the mercies of God. See, the mercy, the realization of God's mercy in our lives should, should help build into us that idea that, my goodness, what do I have to be discouraged about knowing that my sins have been forgiven? I mean, canceled, thrown into the depths of the sea. I now have a relationship with God. It's not based on my performance, but it's based on His grace and mercy. Therefore, I can't lose it because I didn't get to do anything to gain it in the first place. Mercies of God. But Paul also, notice, hooks the mercy of God and the realization of it into all of us having a ministry. 
Every Christian is a minister. Every Christian is to be a servant of the Lord. And Paul's saying, do we not realize that all of us have a part to play in the body of Christ and in the kingdom of God? And we have this ministry. What a privilege. God doesn't just save us to have our sins forgiven and and, and enter into a relationship with Him so that when we die, we can go to heaven. He says, I want you to have a part to play in my eternal kingdom. And that starts right here and now. Every one of us has a ministry. And primarily, we have been seeing that instead of trying to zero in on particular service opportunities and ministry opportunities to look at the bigger picture and to see as we did last week that all of us are called to be ministers of Jesus Christ 24-7. Everywhere we go to everyone we come in contact with, we are to be a minister. And primarily the big picture then of our ministry isn't trying to narrow it down to this couple hours of service here and and this good deed that I did for this person over here, but to see that in every place we go and to everyone we come in contact with, we are to proclaim and make known Jesus Christ so that people can see Jesus in us. And Paul picks up on that here in verse five of chapter four, where he says, we do not proclaim ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord and ourselves as your slaves for Jesus sake. Because one day, Paul said, the light of God shone in our hearts and gave us the light of the glorious knowledge of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Paul says, my goodness, what a ministry we have. You and I know personally, firsthand, experientially, the Lord Jesus Christ. We not only have him as our savior, but we now have him as our shepherd of our life. And we are learning him and we are knowing him and and we are growing in our knowledge of him. And, And what a glorious thing to be able to have our lives proclaim him to each and every person. What a ministry opportunity. Don't limit again your ministry or your service to just certain acts and certain hours of the week or the day. You and I get to proclaim Jesus to everyone, everywhere, in every place. But Paul says, here's where the discouragement can come. The more we try to live for Jesus and maybe proclaim Jesus and make him know, we're going to face rejection. And Paul says, I get that. But you know, one of the things that can prevent us as Christians from being discouraged is to not take the rejection that people give to us when we try to make Jesus known to them personally. That's where we go wrong. We somehow think that when people reject us because we're trying to make Jesus known to them, that we, they're rejecting us. Not really. They're rejecting Jesus. You see, that's why Paul says... In chapter 4, verse 2, he says, you know, we, we don't try to hide the word of God. We, we simply openly proclaim the truth no matter what. And he says, if our gospel, verse 3, is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing because the God of this age is blinding their minds and they can't not come to the truth. In other words, there's, there's this spiritual warfare that's going on behind the scenes. And you and I are never called, nor are we responsible before God in our ministry to make Jesus known to save anybody. Because we can't save anybody. Jesus Christ is the only Savior. 
You and I aren't called to save anybody. All we are called to do is be seed planters or seed sowers. All we are called to do is make Jesus known, to proclaim Jesus. God is never going to hold any of us responsible for other people's responses. If they shut us down, if they turn us off, if, if they walk away, whatever. Uh, again, ultimately, it's not us that they're rejecting. It is the Lord Jesus who they are rejecting. And so you and I have to learn to differentiate and separate as we're out there making Jesus known through our ministry, just whether it's, the, again, the criticism, the slander, uh, the rejection and all of that from others is that there's more going on here than meets the eye. And the freeing thing for me, even as a pastor, is God doesn't even hold me responsible for your response to my teaching ministry. All God asks of me to do is simply share the word. After that, my responsibility has been taken care of. So that when I get to heaven, God's not going to say, well, you couldn't keep so-and-so awake. (laughs) Well, sorry, that's not on me. Any more than it's on Nicole as our worship leader to to get some of you engaged in worship. That's not on her. That's on you. God's not going to hold her responsible for that. See, God simply says, you be faithful to what I've called you to do, regardless of whether people respond in a positive way or not. But again, because we live, especially in America, and everything is results-oriented, even amongst Christians, Christians can become very discouraged very quickly because they don't see results, or they don't see immediate results. And that's why God says, well... First of all, you might not see any results. But that doesn't mean I might not say that you were the best servant I ever had because you were faithful to what I asked you to do. And later on in chapter 5, Paul says in verse 7, we are to live by faith, not by sight. In chapter 4, verse 18, he says, we should be looking at what cannot be seen, not at what can be seen. You see. So that's one of the truths that Paul is sharing with us today that can help us to prevent ourselves from being discouraged. Is we've been shown mercy and we have this ministry and the response and results of our life of ministry of proclaiming Jesus and making Him known in the world in which we... That's not on us. All that is on us is be faithful to share. Be faithful to sow Be faithful to be who God has called us to be and let the results and the responses between our audience and God. Remembering, too, you and I have no power to save anybody. None. We can't save a soul. The Savior is the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's only by even, as we talked about in our series on the Holy Spirit, it's only by the the working and ministry and moving of the Holy Spirit in a person's life that can even bring them to that point where they can, in a sense, shake off the blinders that Satan places upon them to where they can see the glorious light of the gospel of Jesus Christ in the in his face.
So Paul starts there, but Paul doesn't end there. Notice he not only says we have a ministry as we've been shown mercy. In verse 7 of chapter 4, he says we have this treasure. We have a treasure. The treasure in the context, I believe, is what he talked about in verse 6. It is the glorious knowledge of God that you and I have. And Paul says, by the way, God placed this great treasure. You could call it your salvation. You could call it eternal life. You can call it the glorious knowledge of God. Call it whatever you will. This treasure is in clay jars. Speaking of our earthly bodies. These finite, feeble, fragile, fleshly, one day going to die bodies. And Paul says, why is that? Well, one of the reasons why is so that the extraordinary power belongs to God and does not come from us. If the vessel that the treasure was in was, if that was the focus, then obviously God would have created us different and made his whole plan different. But in order for us to go to heaven and And spend an eternity with God. We've got to take off these fleshly bodies anyway. So God says the focus should never be on the externals. The focus should never be on these fleshly bodies. The focus should always be on the treasure that you and I have within us. That should be the focus. That's why he says in verse 8. Some of you may even feel like sometimes this is your life. Paul says, we are experiencing trouble on every side, but we're not crushed. We are perplexed, but not driven to despair. We are persecuted, but not abandoned. We are knocked down, but not destroyed. You see, faithful followers of Jesus Christ are the (laughs) but-nots. Yeah, this is happening to us, but not that. It could always be worse. Even like a Christian who says, man, I'm going through a real intense time and season of suffering. Yeah, but most of us could honestly say, but we don't suffer like some other Christians have suffered in this world. And we certainly will never suffer like Jesus Christ suffered, especially so unjustly. Paul says, always keep things in perspective. And the perspective is never from God's perspective on the outward, the externals. It's always on the internal thing. and It's always on the treasure that you and I have on the inside. Because that's what's going to last. That's what's going to carry us through eternity. And when God does allow certain things to affect us, to touch us, even in that physical way, notice what Paul goes on to say in verse 10. Yes, we're always carrying around in our earthly body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may be made visible in our body. And he repeats this in verse 11. So that the life of Jesus may be visible in our body. See, so... Some of the reasons why God allows us, even as his dear children, as Christians, to be affected by certain things physically is so that others might see the reality of who he is through our season of suffering. Because let's face it, if everything always went just hunky-dory for us, it's not that they couldn't see Jesus, but let's all face it, it's when things aren't going well that the reality of Jesus can really show up and be shining through our lives so that others can actually see him even more clearly because it's like, 
Okay, yeah, you you love God. It's sort of like the whole argument Satan has with God about Job in Job chapter 1. Yeah, God, I know he's been blessed. He has a great life, but nothing bad's ever happened to him. You let something bad happen to him and we'll see the reality of his faith. We'll see where his real treasure is. So God says, go, you touch him, but here, I'm going to give you the, the boundaries. And I love how the whole argument of Job progresses and how Job even says, yeah, I went through a terrible time of suffering, but I came forth as gold. God used it to refine me, to purify me, to get my priorities right. I'm even better on the backside of it than I ever was on the... And I thought I was doing pretty good on the front side, but Job said it was all good. see what Paul is saying. Look at verse 16. He says, therefore, we do not despair or get discouraged, even if our physical body is wearing away because the inner person, this treasure that we have can be renewed day by day. And so what really, when you sum it all up, what Paul is saying is here's why we don't get discouraged, not just because we've been shown mercy and we have a ministry, but because we have a treasure, a treasure that cannot in any way be touched or affected by all these forces that come against us at times throughout our earthly life. See, our physical body can be touched. Our physical health can be touched. But it's, this body's wearing away anyway. But the real treasure of our life, no one can take that from us. Nothing can touch that. Even if Other people were to take our life and kill us. The treasure can't be killed. The treasure can't be separated from us. We carry that treasure with us throughout eternity. And Paul's saying, that's what you and I need to focus on. Because in this world, we're going to have, you know, ebbs and flows. And and there's going to be seasons where circumstances go pretty well for us. But there's going to be other times where circumstances don't go well. And we may even be called upon to go through a season of pain and suffering. And Paul is saying, but don't ever forget that even in those darkest times of your life, the treasure's still there. And the treasure can shine really bright. And that life that you have in, in Jesus Christ can be seen even through your physical body as you suffer and as you die. I mean, think about the martyrs throughout history. Think about the way Stephen died in the book of Acts. That even while they were pelting him with rocks and he was dying, what a clear witness he gave to the reality of God in his life. God, forgive them. God, don't lay this sin to their charge, just like Jesus said on the cross. He was looking up into heaven. He still had his wits about him. He was still able to not curse his enemies. He actually was praying for them. He was actually following what the Lord said about loving your enemies praying for those who despitefully use you. And and Stephen was giving such a reality of the power of God in his life, even through his death. You see, that's the treasure that you and I have. A treasure that cannot be touched, a treasure that cannot be affected. One other thing, though, in this passage that Paul focuses on, and that is he also says, not only do we have a ministry through God's mercy and we have a treasure We have a future. And every day as Christians, we should focus 
on our future a little bit. We, we should keep our eternity intentionally in mind every day that we live in some way, some form. Because part of why we can get discouraged and discouragement can begin creeping into our life is we forget even as Christians that the best is yet to come for us. That that somehow all that we are experiencing and all that we are enduring and and all that we are having come against us, that this this is what we've got to live for and this is all there is. And the message of the Bible always is trying to get us to look past our present pain and our present circumstances and to look at what awaits us one day. That's why Paul says in verse 13, we now have a spirit of faith as shown in what has already been written in the Old Testament. I believe, therefore I spoke. So Paul says to the Corinthians, we also believe, right? So let's speak. You know what Paul's saying there? Inner conviction equals outward confession. If I truly believe something, then I'm going to speak it. I'm going to sing it. I'm going to shout it. I'm going to I'm going to proclaim it. If I really believe something, inner conviction equals outer confession. And so Paul has said, I believe I've been shown mercy. I believe I have a a ministry that is only by the mercy of God. Thank God that he's given me a part to play, Paul says, in his wonderful eternal kingdom. How can I be discouraged by that? Even if everybody that I ever witnessed to, even if every Christian that I tried to help or advise or give counsel to, even if they always shut me down, Paul says, I still have a wonderful ministry because I can proclaim Jesus Christ regardless of what the response is. And then Paul says, how can I be discouraged? That even though I have suffered so in my physical body and You can read other places, all the physical torture and things that Paul went through. He was scourged. He was beaten. He was stoned. He went through all of this to be a a servant of Jesus Christ. And yet he says, nothing ever happened to the treasure. I still got my treasure, Jesus. No one can take that from me. They can kill the body, but they can't take my treasure away. And then Paul says, my goodness, he says, do we forget the future that we have as Christians? Notice what he says in verse 14. We have a future resurrection to look forward to. Paul says, we do so because we know that the one who raised up Jesus will also raise us up with Jesus and will bring us with you into his presence. Glory, hallelujah. You and I, once these bodies are laid down on this earth, we get to look forward to a future resurrected body and to be in the presence of the Lord. Which is why in 2 Corinthians 5, Paul says in verse 6, as long as we are away from, from uh, or here on earth, we're absent from the Lord. And he says, I, I just want to be home with the Lord, verse 8. Because that's my home. My home's not here on earth. My home is to be with the Lord in glory. That's what I get to look forward to one day. And then Paul says this, verse 17 of chapter 4. He says, our momentary light suffering is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. Notice the contrast here. 
The contrast of momentary to eternal. The contrast of light to weight. The contrast of suffering to glory. Paul sets these words in contrast by saying, compare it. Take time to compare it in your own minds, he's saying to his brothers and sisters in Corinth. That even if you and I were to spend all of our earthly life, however long that is, in suffering, he says, compare that to the glory we're going to be part of for all of eternity. He says, where's the comparison? And how many of us really as human beings are called by God to suffer every day of our earthly life? Most people aren't. Most people aren't. But here's the problem. You know why we get discouraged? Because we forget about our eternal glory. We get caught up in the scrum of the earthly everyday stuff. And we forget about what awaits us. And Paul's saying to the Corinthian Christians, don't ever forget about your future. Because man, that will get you through a lot. That will inspire and motivate you to keep on keeping on and not to grow weary in well-doing because in due season, you and I will reap if we don't give up. And Paul, again, is not minimizing the suffering and the pain and the affliction and all of that that you and I go through. He's simply saying, by comparison, can you compare it to eternal glory? No, no way. No way, he says. There is no comparison. And then he bleeds into chapter 5. And he says, oh, by the way, if our earthly house, this, this fleshly body that we live in, if it is dismantled, we have the assurance from God that we have a building from God, a house not built by human hands, eternal in the heavens. God has a body waiting on us up there. And it's never going to wear out. It's never going to get sick. It's never going to have to suffer any kind of affliction or pain anymore. It's never going to die. It's eternal in the heavens. This is our future, folks. This is our future. This is why Paul is saying, if we keep these truths in the forefront of our minds and our thinking throughout our earthly lives, these things can prevent us from becoming discouraged. Because God doesn't want His children to live a life of discouragement, especially as we seek to serve Him and minister for Him and live for Him. He wants us to be encouraged, even during the hard times. I want to take you to a verse in closing this morning that I actually took the folks to on Wednesday night, and it's so appropriate even this morning. If you'll go back with me to the book of Isaiah, to the prophet Isaiah, chapter 57. Isaiah, chapter 57. Because again, this whole passage this morning revolves around those words, we do not become discouraged. And, and I don't know where you are today. Only God and you know. Maybe you're already there. Maybe you're already very discouraged in your life for some reason. I want you to know today that you've come to the right place because you can hear 
that the God of all comfort and the God of encouragement is right here ready to meet you in your discouragement and to start bringing you out of that discouragement. Maybe you're not discouraged so much, but you can tell you're headed there. Then hopefully you and God can prevent it from going down that road even further. And maybe some of you have come here and you actually are very encouraged right now in your life. Then guess what? Use the truth that you've been given to prevent yourself from going down that road in the future. And maybe God wants it to be used in all of our lives as a tool in our spiritual tool belt to be able to encourage others. Because can I tell you? You don't have to look far in this world, even amongst other Christians, to find discouragement. It's all around us. So when people say to me, I, I, I can't find anybody to minister to, or I don't have a ministry, or I'm like, man, open up your eyes and open up your ears and start listening to people and looking at people. There's discouragement all around you. Be an encourager and you'll have a full-time ministry through the Lord Jesus Christ. You won't ever have to go one day where you're going, I don't know what my purpose is for waking up today. Be an encourager to somebody today. I guarantee you, you'll have a ministry every day for the rest of your life. Because as I've said before, I've never met a human being who's told me, Jeff, don't don't worry about encouraging me anymore. I've, I've had all the encouragement I need for the rest of my life. I'm good to go. We all fight this fight. We all struggle with this at times. So look at what God says through the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah 15, a remarkable verse. He says, this is what the high and exalted one says. Because God God wants us to understand he is who he is. And there is no one greater or higher in the universe than our God. The one who rules forever, whose name is holy. And God says, I dwell in an exalted and holy place. So don't pull God down. (laughs) Let God be God. But in letting God be God, understand this, Isaiah is writing. That the God who dwells higher than anybody can even imagine is willing to stoop down to us in our discouragement and minister to us. That even makes it more remarkable, doesn't it? When he writes, But also I dwell with the discouraged and the humiliated. The word could also be translated depressed. Those who feel like they're being crushed or ground into powder. In order to cheer up the humiliated, to revive the depressed, and to encourage or revive the discouraged. What a God. What a God. And I love this verse. You don't have to turn there. I'll just share it with you. In chapter 61 of Isaiah, the Messiah has come to encourage and help the brokenhearted. Verse 3, to strengthen those who mourn in Zion by giving them a turban instead of ashes, oil symbolizing joy instead of mourning, a garment symbolizing praise instead of discouragement. God wants to meet with you here today. And He wants to show you and tell you and, and interact with you in a way that will encourage you 
think of, of God in this way. He, he wants to come alongside of you this morning and he wants to put his arm around you and say, my child, I love you. And it's causing me as your God and as your Savior and as your Creator pain to see you in such a discouraged state. Let me encourage you. Because no one can encourage us like our God. And His truth, if you and I are willing to receive it, can bring us out of that encouragement or prevent us from becoming discouraged in the first place, especially as we put ourselves out there day after day, knowing, knowing we're going to get beaten up and we're going to get beaten down. That is the reality of it. But in the midst of all that, you and I can still live an encouraging life, even when the world And even other Christians at times are beating us up and beating us down. God says, you can rise in me. So let's rise this morning and close our service in prayer. Lord, I pray today that you would lift our heads. That you would help us to to get back up if we've been knocked down. To be encouraged today by the truth of your word. To let the Holy Spirit of God, the great comforter, the the paraclete, move in this place in such a way that that He can comfort and encourage and strengthen and revive us, Lord, in the midst sometimes of our discouragement and depression. God, if we need to do business with You this morning in a special way, Lord, may our hearts be open to You today. May you come and just invade this place and invade our lives in a way that just is so encouraging and refreshing. No one can refresh us like God. No one can revive us like God. No one can bring us up when we've been knocked down or when we've fallen down ourselves. But God can. So, Lord, move amongst your people today. Encourage your people as only you can, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.